as a um, as a building part. We classified as a research laboratory ah, okay. where we built apartments and where we test things. So we're in the basement at the moment, right? And I'm sure everyone can see the you know we've got some equipment here. You're testing different things mm-hmm. within, within the environment, and then above us there are these four. Uh, apartments for students. Exactly. Okay, great. And the thing is that uh, these four apartments, they're real research laboratories, so almost each pipe, each square meter, it is someone research project. Hello, Elena. Welcome to our little podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's always exciting to be in connection with you. Oh, thank you. And um, again, I think we're getting an exciting conversation today because we're in... Uh, the live-in lab. So, yeah, I think that's probably a good place to start, really, with because what I want to achieve today is, you know, just to get to pick your brains, really, some of the knowledge I know that you've acquired and, like, also understand, like, in academia, your relationship with the construction and smart building industry as well. So I think um, live-in lab's a, a good place to start. Like, tell, tell us about what you do here. Yeah, of course, welcome to KTH Living Lab. Thank you. Uh, and to start uh, talking about Living Lab, it's important to mention that there are two types of Living Lab as a definition. Uh, one is uh, methodology, Living Lab as an approach to innovate around um, real estate, uh, clean tech um, with uh, multiple stakeholders. So in many papers, in many academical studies, you will find that Living Lab might not even have a building, uh, but they still call Living Lab because they create new type of innovation. Um, I can a bit elaborate on it later. Uh, second type is Living Lab as environment. It is a real physical testbed. Um, normally, it is a building or some kind of space where you can uh, bring innovation close to the market. Uh, we call it real life context, and you can test products and services with the use of end users, with the use of real-life context, uh, business context, uh, regulations, and so on. So right now we are in one of the, um, one, I can say, one of the most famous uh, in Sweden. Of course, we have many, but it is one of the most active living lab related to uh, construction industry, uh, where we have uh, physical buildings, several. Right now we are in the building built by Einar Madsen, and it is a student uh, house student, mm-hmm. with students' apartments, and for apartments specifically, they are designed as a living laboratory where we are have no permits, so we not classified okay. where we build apartments and where we test things. So we're in the basement at the moment, right? And I'm sure everyone can see the you know we've got some equipment here. You're testing different things mm-hmm. within, within the environment, and then above us there are these four uh, apartments for students. Exactly. Okay, great. And think is that uh, these four apartments, they're real research laboratories. So almost each pipe, each square meter, it is someone research project um, and portfolio is pretty diverse from, uh, I don't know, ethical nudging to advanced heat pump system powered by PV panels. Um, And once we get some interesting insights or knowledge uh, from these four apartments, then we can uh, can scale up and test it within 300 other apartments in this building. So that's kind of where the model is about not like statistical data, but test something what is new, what is not tested in the market before, see how does it work, and if this something uh, works well, so then we can scale it up. So you showed us something earlier, the... um flow rate meter that clicks yeah. onto the thing so that's a pretty good example right i guess that so that is that something that's come from the guys that put that together they've come from academia mm-hmm. they've then approached you at some point 
to get involved and they wanted to test it in this environment? So I can start uh, from the point that we have very different uh, stakeholders um, from small startups, from students to big corporates. Everyone is welcome if, if you have a clear idea what you would like to innovate around. And I think three years ago, uh, we get two students. They were master students from industrial product design, and they wanted to design a smart water meter, which might be just ultrasonic, very light, very cheap, and everyone can get it. And they just develop a prototype uh, within their course, and then it's become has become a master thesis project. Then we found that, wow, this is actually interesting. They got some investment, and they started to work on the development of the uh, device. For you to know, we have two or three other companies having their water meters. So what helped us to compare the quality of data, uh, to compare the technology itself, and that's what created this ecosystem of different partners um, and the spirit of a bit of competition and who is doing how and what and why. And that's why the each living lab is kind of um, aiming to have diverse portfolio of stakeholders. For example, uh, this uh, smart uh, ultrasonic water meters from startup, it's called Laptrino. They constantly check their data with Schneider Electric Water System. And sometimes Schneider data works better, sometimes their sensor uh, works better. And that's what creates this collaboration between them. Mm. They kind of, it sounds like a bit of competition, but still they are aiming to be partners. And that's where like from this primitive like B2B mindset, we try to come to what's called network constellations, where very different partners can come here. There is no like uh, market pressure. You are not um, under pressure to create a perfect product. You're here to develop something and it's totally fine if something doesn't work so it's a spirit of garage if you want so you're here to test to improve to iterate to team up because there are a lot of smart people working there and then you can just end up with some uh, kind of final product or service with which you can go to the market right and uh, learn develop your product exactly and then develop and, and then, test and then eventually commercialize it exactly yeah. great and you specifically, like, what's your involvement with with KTH and the Living Lab? So the story started uh, a long time ago, where I decided that I would like to work with the building industry, uh, specifically with the Good choice. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, uh, specifically, I wanted first to work with big data. That was my initial kind of interest. How we can, how we can, kind of use data in the building to make everyday life better. But when I started, I didn't focus, will I work with um, just industrial data or end users data? I just wanted to explore which data do we have and what could we do with it. I call it data efficiency improvement because most of us know that we generate a lot of data. We, we barely use 10% of it. According to IBM research they, in the build industry, they said we use mostly like around 10% of data we do generate. And my first task was to create this uh, analysis, uh, develop analysis of which data do we generate in, for example, such lab, uh, which quality of data do we have, and what could we do with this data. And on my second year, I some kind of step into thinking about data, digital services, and how we can fuel them with data. I was inspired mostly by companies like Google and Amazon that they their business commodity is data, not products or uh, infrastructures. And that's where like, I started to, wow, actually, end users 
are the biggest sensor in the building. They massively generate data, occupancy data, uh, activities data, behavioral data, um, energy consumption. That's where it's clicked with my department. I'm from energy department and energy technology department. And that's where like, wow, we actually can learn a lot about savings of resources if we understand people better. That's why my um, focus from purely data-driven shift to human-driven and behavioral-driven. And that's where, like, since uh, third year of my PhD, I started to focus on digital service design in, in build environment. Um, so that's what I'm doing, trying to see which data can we use um, to, to, to create some value for end users. And I, just, I can give you an example. Right now I have this uh, device. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an Aura Ring. Uh, many of it's just market product. You can easily buy it. So this a uh, variable device which uh, can pretty precisely um, gather data about your biometrics and your um, physical feelings, uh, heart rate, skin temperature, activity rate, and so on. Um, and for example, this is the data which explain how do person feel right now. And then we have a lot of data from sensors. And now we're building machine learning algorithm which can compare combined data from this ring and data from built environment and identify some kind of anomalies where like I didn't sleep well. Is it something like physical or psychological or it is built environment? And we try to see, can we contribute to my sleeping or my activities by manipulating data from built environment? So that's kind of a good example to show the data from human side, talk with data from building side and generate value for uh, well-being. Um, of course, it might be a question how to commercialize it. Um, in the future, we see uh, more well-being services uh, because especially with the COVID situation, people would like to understand that they are in the safe place, they feel good, they uh, have less stress, and so on. We will have more technology where data from user side will communicate with data from building side. But besides business kind of question, it might also come ethical question. How much you want um, different companies know about such sensitive data like your uh, health? And that's where uh, I do my research in academia in Sweden, where we have a pretty strong standard about ethical improvements and so on. So my research project, um, I think we spent almost half a year developing ethical kind of uh, report uh, for this project and explaining everything what is needed. Okay, so to put it in a bit of context, so you'll collect, so for example, the, the students that live in those flats, mm-hmm. you're, you're collecting sort of information about them and their mm-hmm. behavior and also the environmental aspect and the temperature. And then you can look for trends with the, with the two. So as you said, like maybe they're not sleeping well that night mm-hmm. and then you can go and look at the data and perhaps understand if that was an environmental issue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Environmental is one thing, but it's more like about how to create this human building interaction with a common Mm. value for both, for environmental building operation and for end users' well-being uh, kind of improvement, especially uh, talking about students' apartments and students. They're here to study. Mm. We need to know that they're productive, nothing disturbs them, and they can focus on the process of studying especially it was interesting to research data during the exam time that's the mostly extreme data yeah (laughs) no sleep no activity right yeah and uh, a lot of anxiety and that's where like wow we need to they are too busy to maybe um, control 
built environment parameters. Maybe we can help them yeah. bring a bit more fresh air during these days or play a bit with lightning because that could help them to be more productive. I was also inspired a lot by Harvard Health, Healthy Building School, uh, Joseph Allen, professor, who focused on exactly this, how, we, how our buildings can um, how, kind of support us in our daily activities and not have this general idea how you behave, but no, make it more personalized and uh, make it more like um, adaptive. And even if you talk, a lot of crit criticism coming to this personalization in the buildings because people tell, oh, come on, but... Uh, we might be four people in family and we all have different term thermal comfort um, kind of habits. Mm. But let's take music. If you want to listen different music, you just put headphones, right? And listen different music. So it means that we could develop systems, technology, which can address your needs and address uh, technology to fulfill your needs. And if you need to maybe do your writing, writing uh, you need zero kind of noise. Mm -hmm. It's your need. And if your, um, I don't know, um, um, son or wife want to play drums, maybe they need something else, right? And that's kind of where understanding better what might be your needs, how building can fulfill it. That's what I'm trying to do in this research. And of course, it's a very new field. Uh, and I think it's just beginning of the story about uh, human building interaction and developing all these um, products and services it's just something what's happening. I totally agree. I mean, I think we've seen in the work that, that I've done researching the markets, like we, we've seen um, so much more interest in user experience and human building interaction recently. And we're just about to, uh, I think in the summer, publish a report on um, tenant experience applications mm -hmm. um, and workplace experience applications. So I think a lot of companies are looking at an opportunity there to, to commercialize this basically what you've been talking about, right? Like being able to, um, I guess in a way, just for the building to connect better to the, to the user. And, you know, previously we've talked about issues around that, right? Like about how the construction and building industry has been too separated from the end user. And that creates, creates issues, I think. Right, especially with uh, what mostly you're doing, you're focusing on this kind of commercial buildings. Uh -huh which of course creates specific kind of uncertainty in the planning. For example, sometimes building owners, they do not know who will be their end users. It might be office, it might be real estate, uh, sorry, not real estate, um, retail. So it means that sometimes it's not easy to plan uh, in detail your space. At the same time, um, still there is end user and even if you do B2B business, even if you do just office space development, there are people in the end uh, or coming to this office, experience all the kind of end results of your development. And if they are not um, happy, if they don't feel safe, they would just not come to this property. They would uh, complain about it. And that's where like this uh, B2B2C thinking is something what I believe should be more developed. And um, yeah, so I think it, it's especially with COVID where just companies can easily just stop contracts in all these commercial buildings and might uh, create new demand for like safety and like well-being. So it's, it's becoming really important. Mm. And what's next for you after, after this phase of research? That's interesting question because I'm exactly now on the, in the transition mode because I'm finishing my PhD uh, this year, end of this year. 
And uh, last five years, I mostly worked with uh, residential buildings from many, many sides, from sensors, network development to policy making uh, mechanisms. And I found that um, I need more space for innovation, even more, even being like in this advanced lab, I still see a lot of things I would like to do uh, faster. Uh, and that's why I decided to go more to countryside uh, property development. Why? Because there are less regulations. Two, it is smaller space, what means it's automatically easier to innovate around it because, again, less standards, uh, less regulations, uh, less responsibility because if it's one single house, it's not 300 apartments. We need to plan in advance how all these lives will happen. So, and I see a lot of potential for topic like well-being. That's uh, how do you feel in different spaces? Uh, do you feel safe in the city or countryside? Because we sometimes focus too much on the building and we forget that built environment, it's also all spaces around. It is also like, um, I don't know, grocery stores around. It's uh, public spaces, mm -hmm. it's parks. Yeah. And that's where like I want to, connect uh, and start build, uh, develop built environment around lifestyle rather than specific functionality of the building. For example, um, I think one of my favorite um, reports uh, was written by Fjord called Living Services, where they just try to focus how do you live your one week? Uh, and then they try to map all the spaces you interact with within one week. And that's include, of course, your apartment or your house. It's include... Um, it's include entertainment spaces, it includes parks, it includes uh, gym and many, 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 many spaces. And that's where it's interesting that city is already pretty complex to explore it. That's why if you go to countryside, there is less spaces, there are less kind of smaller ecosystem, but still it's very diverse. So you can do your barbecue outside. Is it building or not? That's kind of where the boundary kind of question um, might be interesting to research. So in my future, I will probably focus more on neighborhood design, community design, like social architecture from the point of human networks and building spaces around this kind of community needs. Okay. So, I mean, again, something we've previously talked about, like this marriage of work and home, mm. right, where we've perhaps previously thought about that as two distinct things like work, something you do here, and then you go to your home to escape that because maybe you don't like your job or maybe you do, but actually you can see an opportunity there to bring these two things closer together. Or Yeah, I think that it's very much depending on questions like what is your job and what do you need for your job? That's, I think, where we need to start. What, what do you really need to perform well within your uh, tasks? Some people really need, like, I don't know, a space where they can focus, like coders. Some people need social spaces. And depending on different kind of working needs, you might redesign the way you work. For example, if you are really dedicated to your work process, I don't think you need to really divide, like, working space and living space. Why? Because I was really, I said it to you before, I was inspired by Venetian um, artists and sculpture people. They had this mystery this type of space where you combine your living space and studio. Why? Because if you get an insight or idea, you need to very fast come to your studio and maybe paint something or sketch something. But mean that if your work is something what you really do with passion and you don't need to have like 
clear hours. You just you just feel for working. I don't know doing something, and that's kind of where you can just have easy access to the space. Also, I think it's very important to understand that.、Um, Of course, you need to have some zones, but、um, still, kind of,、uh, I believe that what we need, we need to feel, we need to understand what we feel good from. And if you feel really just good in the office and social, yeah, you need to have some access to it. But latest、uh, research from McKinsey showed that 37% of people they are okay to have only one two days in the office. The rest they want to stay at home,、um, and that's why people invest now a lot in redesigning their homes. And that's where home is. Is gonna change because now your home is your office, is your studio, is your hobby spot, is your workshop station, is your living room, is your bedroom, is your kitchen.、Mm. Uh, home is becoming this、uh, Swiss Army knife, you know, <laughs> many many things. And and the last year is just going to accelerate. Yeah, that, exactly that, that transition, isn't it? Yeah. Plus,、uh, when you combine generations in one home, I mean, some kids are gamers, some kids are musicians, and there are so many interests. Uh, which we need to kind of、uh, support with the flexible infrastructure, which is this infrastructure which kind of help you to feel that oh wow I can do what I like to do without any like obstacles. So can you see? You know, there's a lot of talk in、uh, research about like urbanization, right? Okay, and of course I think a lot of that's coming from develop developing economies. But in like Sweden, can you see sort of More opportunities for people to move out to the countryside, not perhaps get a better quality of life, or be able to do more things not in urban areas. Yeah, that's what I plan to call my next research lab,、uh, de-urbanization lab,、okay. because it's it's just kind of movement where you feel that city city doesn't give you enough to just be in in a smaller space、uh, in the space with limitations. And that's why I see the movement, especially people who don't code on or can work remotely easily. They want to have a view on the lake. They, have, they want to have a space to do kind of I don't know yoga outside, and it's creating this demand of going to countryside, developing infrastructure. And I think you gave before a good example of Norway, where they use taxation mechanism of incentivizing、uh, people living in the rural areas and develop them. And I believe that in the future we will. Have a lot of these、um, small villages by different companies or cluster of companies creating these、uh, nice neighborhoods. And for example, one of my favorite、um, kind of project about this、um, new society neighborhood development near Venice. There is a place called H Farm.、Uh, it's a startup village where you can also live, and they also open the campus for innovative programs.、Mm. And it's kind of becoming this really hub of creative, young, ambitious people living on the countryside, seeing how farming happening. They see how the corns is growing, and it's also give you this. Oh, my idea also need to grow, need to be a bit patient, and so on. And I think that、uh, rural areas they're full of lessons, full of、uh, capacity for well-being. Also, there are so many things you can't do in the city, which you can do there. Like I don't know, different hobbies, like I don't know, workstations, pot making, all these you know crafty things.、Uh, I think director of our living lab,、uh, Jonas Vogel, he's really adore working with wood, and okay,、yeah. he needs、yeah. his、uh, workshop to just after work after all these techy things、uh, work with some wood. Or another example of this type of person is a good friend of mine, Filippo, CTO of Nestle. 
uh, I asked him, how do you always work with this tech data? How, how do you balance? And he said, yeah, I have my garage and I fix old Japanese motorcycles. That's a place where I can just do something with my hands and mm. feel its uh, connection to physical world. What about more the, like the social interaction that you, I mean, in urban areas, like it's so easy, right, to interact with other people, right, to have that uh, social experiences, whatever they might be, if you have kids to have like, you know, group um, for your, where you can meet other parents or, you know, go to a bar, go to a restaurant. I mean, these are experiences that are more difficult in urban in in rural areas but have you thought about that like how can you how can you develop those sort of things for sure that was one of the main kind of uh, question we got in the beginning uh, of the press study to start with uh, research in urban areas people feel way more lonely in the cities mm-hmm. even if you're in the city it doesn't mean that you're super social you still use uh, social media and digital platforms to communicate with people you might sit in the cafe, have a nice coffee and be in kind of Facebook. Right, and not talk to anyone. Exactly. Yeah, right. So that's also indicating that uh, it's a little bit, it's a partly true that we are very social in the cities and uh, we are not social on the urban, uh, rural areas. Uh, I had experiment, I lived like two months on the countryside and, you know, every neighbor said me hello every time they met me. What I mean that when you feel this little isolation, you start to communicate. It's organic reaction. So it means that that's why I want to focus on neighborhood designs and more like social architecture, network of people and infrastructure for them. Because if you just have a, you don't need many people. You don't need thousands of people around you. You need kind mm. of small group of people with whom you are happy to interact. Mm. Yeah, because there's actually research, right, about how many faces and people we can recognize, right? There is a limit, isn't there? Like 150, uh, as I remember correct. Yeah. It's the number of people you can keep in your head as a, like, different, of course, uh, distance, but it's kind of number of people which your brain can remember and can kind of... I think for me in. it's like 10. <laughs> no, 10 is the inner circle, let's call it, but then, like, it could be some other, like, colleagues. It's a really bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> so that is... Yeah. Another question I wanted to ask, with your experience in academia, um, but you also interact with companies, especially here at Live and Lab, right? Do you, I mean, how do you see that um, relationship, right, between academia and industry, commercial, commercial industry, and, and how, how, how does academia help like, the, the industry? Yeah, that's a very good question because it's a constant uh, roller coaster from like a very strong belief in uh, public-private partnership to a lot of kind of misunderstanding because historically, of course, academia, especially if we talk about Swedish academia, we are a governmental organization and um, we have a pretty high level of trust because we are funded by um, kind of, let's call it, Tax, tax money of citizens and uh, that's what make us uh, prioritize serving their needs and uh, being uh, mostly like oriented on societal level of thinking and of course we understand that business is playing a crucial role in any type of development uh, that's why we believe in cooperation and we see that we would like to cooperate to solve societal problems but sometimes it is a misunderstanding that academia, especially Swedish, we are not trying to specifically serve to business needs. It might be research about business model innovation, 
uh, where we try to innovate about how to make money. But most of sci- uh, researchers and scientists here, they um, have a pretty clear statement that we want to do as objective as possible study. And the study might not perfectly um, support specific company. It might be that after research we found something would actually work against company. And that's why um, sometimes companies are not ready to be open about some kind of science like this. Uh, but what I see with Living Lab that it is a more and more interest to cooperate and learn and improve together because what we do have, we have uh, methods and tools which are scientific and research-based and we have a strong intention to do objective study. What uh, help to companies who prioritize long-term development? If you want to serve to society, if you want to be better and better, not only sell faster and faster, uh, then normally we have no problems. We set the goals, we go to them together, and we like uh, share responsibilities. But sometimes, of course, we have companies which try to just use a brand of academia, um, and then they're just not ready to be patient. And sometimes, especially... That was my first uh, kind of understanding that uh, academia, of course, it's way slower. Mm. Uh, and sometimes time perception uh, within company and academia, they're different. Dif- and so yeah, yeah. I remember move at different pace. An ex- ex- example was that one company that said, okay, what are you meaning like three? The three what? I said years. And they're like, what? Years? Three years research? No, three months. That's how the pace we have. And I said, but we can't really, we just can't uh, be sure that... Uh, we can have a quality uh, outcomes of this. But there is one but. Why I love to work with business. Sometimes we are too slow. I need to agree on it. Sometimes we can speed up because, for example, let's take corona situation and vaccine development. You have no time. You need to be faster. And that was, what, that was a very strong business push and uh, situation push. You can't do five-year study uh, on vaccine development. You need to test you need to find faster track for your research. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned a lot from companies. That's why I love to cooperate with businesses um, because they make me, they create a pressure for time for me. They said, Elena, we don't have two years. We have half year. Can, mm-hmm. we, can we balance and com- compromise maybe with some uh, sides of, of study and but just get results as good as possible, but for six months? And then we start to discuss, okay, what can we um, neglect and why and explain it and that's where, like, a business, I think, creates a pretty good pressure for time. At the same time, we always create pressure for quality of outcomes. And it's an interesting point. I think it's like a two-way street, isn't it? Like, you, exactly. I think you, academia, can learn from the commercial aspect and, and academia and the other way as well. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, do you have any advice for companies that, that are, I mean, how they can interact with academia maybe they're developing a product they want to like something like this use live in lab to test it or maybe they're interested in researching you know they have an r&d budget and maybe they want to i will just i don't like to give advices because i think it's just um, everyone is um, has a right to like behave and decide how they want but mm. uh, let's call it advice which i always give to my students just stay curious about any ways to do things and sometimes when you are doing business, just open your mindset and just ask, how do academia does things? How do labs uh, does th- uh, the labs do things? And this kind of openness f- for different formats, it's a first step to diversify your uh, like portfolio of methods. How can you? And then you can really find, oh, that's something in this. 
And of course, talking about KTH Living Lab, we are always welcome companies to contact us, to come, to ask questions. So we're always open to book meetings and discuss different problems. But what we sometimes see, that's a feedback. You need to do homework. You need to d- d- decide uh, what, what problem do you want to work with? Because sometimes we experience companies think that we're kind of consultancy style mm. organization. We are not. We are a research hub and we're not here to do work for you. We would like to see companies which understand that, oh, there is something what uh, we kind of would like to work on. Let's, let's talk about it. Uh, we, we would not come with ideas to them because, of course, we have a lot of ideas, but we would like they also have visions, ideas, uh, problems, which they would like to co- cooperate about. And given your experience with commercial side of the business, academia, and everything in between, like are, are there certain things you would like to see from the building, construction, technology, oh, yeah. development? Yeah, I know. It's sort of a podcast in itself I, probably. I, I think but. something pop up, especially like uh, being inspired by your latest, uh, one of the latest reports about uh, startups, mm-hmm. uh, prop tech and small medium enterprise. It is happening a huge wave of active small companies with ambitious to come and fix problems fast, uh, creatively, effectively. And I just published the paper. We actually, I used a lot your report um, about small, medium enterprises in European Union. And it is a huge movement of um, like prop tech startups working with real estate. And I think uh, companies should uh, look at the side of uh, these small active hubs, companies who are trying to kind of solve problems differently. And uh, not just about just they want a big company buy them. No, they just really want to solve a problem. And that's where this um, kind of hungry mind for solving problems, uh, solving challenges, it's really, it's really happening. And I think in your report, you have uh, more than uh, around 200 startups you mm, analyze. It's mm. crazy. And all of them make sense. No, that's brilliant advice. I think too often it's sort of like the focus perhaps is on the exit, which of course, you know, it's a commercial organization. Totally understand that. But... Like, and let's face it, like in construction and real estate, like there's a lot of problems. So there's a lot of places to start, start yeah. and start with that problem and try and try and solve it. Yeah. And their energy is great. Yeah. Their passion I agree. is very like, um, it's high. So great. I think that's a good place to, to finish today. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so no, much. Yeah. Thank you as well. Um, that's brilliant. Like if people, Want to find out more about Living Lab or your research? Is there somewhere they can? Yeah, there is a website. You can Google KTH Living Lab. It's a Swedish and English website. There are news, their project description. They can easily find my contacts there. So just be curious. Great. Stay hungry for knowledge. Stay curious. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye.